0: Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. Welcome to Monday. I'm into several cups of coffee here. Uh bit of a late night last night, checked out a movie, tell you about that coming up later on. But let's get right down to business here, shall we? A lot of parents of kids 11 uh, 5 to 11 years old were up early this morning trying to book a vaccine appointment online before we get to one of those parents uh the vaccine has arrived in canada
1: a ups plane full of kids size COVID 19 vaccines arrived at hamilton airport last night this is the first batch to arrive here since a modified version of the pfizer shot was approved for use by health canada Federal Procurement Minister Philomena Tassi was there to mark the arrival. She said Canada would have 2.9 million doses in hand by the end of the week, which is enough to offer a first dose to every child in the 5 to 11 age group. Sandy Salerno, Global News.
0: Now, as you heard in the news, Jeff Ron mentioned in the uh, 10 o'clock news there that some parents are getting appointments. We're hearing Wednesday, Thursday, which is very quick. The province said they would be administering these pediatric vaccines from Pfizer within a week. Health Canada just approved it on Friday. The vaccines arrived, as you heard there, last night, and we're already uh, booking appointments here in the province of Manitoba. That began at 6 a.m. this morning. One of the parents online, Tricia Klassen.
2: It was stressful. Um, Got up super early, uh, logged in ahead of time, making sure, you know, all the children's information was there, Uh, and then 6 a.m. hit, and then the screen went blank. So I know many parents on uh, Twitter were saying the same, uh, just kept refreshing and hoping for the best and finally had success and got uh, two appointments. You know what? COVID has been such a stressful and uncertain time, and it was just our number one way to protect our kids from um, what's happening in our world right now. I have a 10 and a five-year-old. So obviously the five-year-old isn't, you know, really sure what's all going on, but um, the 10-year-old was just elated. He thought, you know, that he heard... Um, When it approved he thought he could go that day Uh, he heard that it arrived in Canada he thought okay that means I get to go like right away and he really wants to go to a Winnipeg Jets game and my husband just and I don't feel comfortable bringing him into that environment yet so he's just so looking forward to going to a Winnipeg Jets game after he's vaccinated. The parents that we you know socialize with and the ones that we see at our our children's school for sure that they Um, have been waiting and waiting. I know a lot of parents that are also teachers and they're just wanting their kids. It's stressful having kids um, in school right now. And there's so many cases and we know the numbers are going up in the under 18. And so I know parents are just like really looking forward to this and they're really hopeful that this will be a really great um, way that we can help protect our kids.
0: Winnipeg mom, Tricia Klassen, I'd love to hear your experience. Are you a, a parent of, uh, of a child or children between 5 and 11 years old? Were you on uh, online this morning booking an appointment when are your appointments uh, how are you feeling about getting your young child vaccinated Two zero four seven eighty sixty eight sixty eight 780 hal or how at let's talk about it now with jason kindrichuk assistant professor in canada research chair department of microbiology medical microbiology and infectious diseases at the university of manitoba jason good morning
1: Good morning, Helen. I'm deep into my coffee this morning as well, man.
0: (laughs) Good. Glad to hear it. Mondays, boy, I'll tell you. And Tuesdays are even worse for me. I don't know what that's all about. But um, how significant is this tool, 5 to 11-year-olds being vaccinated?
1: It's important because it's another tool, right? We've had this demographic of, of kids under the age of 12 that really have been flying unprotected. Uh, through uh, through the pandemic, and we've had other you know other measures in terms of distancing and masking to help, but be able to to, to be able to offer a vaccine, it's really important, and, and I think it, it reflects back to this idea that. This is not a benign infection in kids. This is an infection that can cause kids to get sick, but also a small percentage of those kids could actually be severely ill. So I think it's important for us to to look at this and say, there's not only a protection standpoint in in our vulnerable communities and being able to curb transmission, but also specifically within this demographic.
0: I think in Manitoba, because we're so vaccinated here compared to other provinces like Saskatchewan and Alberta who've had some real problems of late. I think because we're, uh, we vaccine uptake here has been better. We've seen less impact in this fourth wave. And this is good news, right? That parents are online booking appointments that they could have. Um, this vaccine in their arms in just a few days, and that will make our, our vaccination numbers even better and and might help with this fourth wave because we are seeing uh, some transmission amongst young kids in schools and, and, and whatnot.
1: Well that's exactly it right I mean one of the you know kind of the, the lasting you know vestiges of, of this pandemic has been the fact that once you get demographics protected, the demographics that are not protected, you start to see an uptick in, in transmission um, it's the nature of, of this disease and, and of course we've been watching numbers and we've been watching trends in Manitoba it's getting a little bit more widespread we know there's stress on the healthcare care system um, we need to try and get ahead of this where we can and, and this offers us at least a, a, you know some extra ability to to ensure that kids are protected and hopefully as we move into the new year um you'll be able to to start to get back to you know some kind of pre-2020 times in regards to normalcy but uh you know we, we we continue to have to fight the good
0: fight we talked on friday a bit about hesitancy that parents might be feeling maybe they were you know first in line to get their shot but maybe with their kids they're a little more concerned uh, all indications are all the research is that uh, I mean, this vaccine, this smaller dose of the Pfizer vaccine for kids, is safe, correct?
1: Yeah. So, so the data so far, what what they've shown at least within uh, within this age group, that you know the the you know kind of I guess reactions to the vaccine in regards to you know general myalgia and tiredness and soreness all those things were were lower than what we've seen in in other age groups. That's really important. Um, But what we've also seen is that with the number of kids that that have been um, vaccinated in this age group in the U.S., we haven't heard of any severe adverse events thus far. And that's really important because those adverse events that are really severe tend to manifest really quickly after kids are vaccinated or after people are vaccinated. So the fact that we haven't heard of those. I think again is, is another check mark to say all the safety signals so far are looking very good. We have to keep watching, but we're going in the right direction.
0: When you mentioned the U.S., I told the start, MacLean McGarry McNabb at the end of their show as I was teeing up this show, uh, that in the States, and this is the U.S., and America is much different than us here in Canada, but so far with five to 11 year olds, that age group, young kids, which will now be vaccinated here, they're being vaccinated in the U.S three times faster than adults did so uh, uh, you know i we talked as i said on friday a bit about hesitancy among some parents but it doesn't seem like and from what i'm seeing in text messages and emails this morning that there doesn't really seem to be that hesitancy that that there was with some people and i wonder if that's because we're well into the use of this vaccine now right a lot of people at the start said well i'm gonna wait and see we we have now seen what the vaccine has meant
1: Yeah, I think so. But I think, you know, even if you look back into, you know, the summer of 2020 and fall of 2020, as we started talking about the vaccines and the likelihood of them moving into the population, you know, very, very soon, when you started looking at the polls, there was still quite a bit of hesitancy about the vaccines. Once they became available, you know, I think a lot of that hesitancy changed. So I think you know, once the vaccines are, are out and you can actually book those appointments and you know people that are going and, and, and coming up front and being vocal about doing that, there, there's more of a, you know, I think a push and inclination to do that. And, and I hope that that carries. I hope that it's representative of how our community feels.
0: And, you know, um, we heard uh, from uh, Tricia. The parent there, and I'm getting text messages that I'll get to, and, and emails from parents that have booked appointments for their kids. You have a young kid. I don't think your child's ready yet, not the age of five yet. But, I mean, just imagine the stress that parents have been under with young kids who have not been vaccinated and now they can at least get the vaccine and maybe feel more secure about their kids and, and their kids being out and about. And, you know, as Trisha mentioned, at a Jets game, for example, living life again.
1: Well, and, and I think, you know, from from our own personal experience, you know, we've had our daughter tested, I think, six times because she's in daycare. And every time she's gotten sick, we've had to go to get tested. We've had to keep her, uh, you, know, at, you know, at home. And that, of course, impacts our ability to, uh, to, to get into work and do the things we need to do. There are all these other aspects that the vaccine will help us get move away from that and get back to some sense of normalcy. There are other infectious diseases we have to be concerned about in kids as well. But at the very least, we may be able to get control of COVID-19 and start to, uh, to have a, a more positive impact on our own lives too.
0: Jason, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Jason Kinderchuk, Assistant Professor and Canada Research Chair, Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the U of M. You know, they had a couple of breakdowns in the last six minutes with some substitutes on defense that threw things off in terms of their communication. And Calgary rallied to win the game, if that's a regular season game you know, the Bombers would be beside themselves that they lost it. Our voice of the Bombers, Bob Irving there on the Bombers' 13-12 loss in Calgary on the weekend. Joining us now to chat a bit about it, Ed Tate from BlueBombers.com. Ed, good morning.
3: Morning. How, how are you, man?
0: Excellent. Thanks a lot for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Listen, you know, just based on social media and what some of my buddies that are Bomber fans are saying, there's some concern about this loss um, should we be concerned or or just chalk it up to hey everybody was resting players and let's get ready for the west final
3: yeah i, I go with the latter Helen. you know i understand that people are going to be a bit concerned because it's two losses to end the regular season but you know if you go back a month when winnipeg uh, clinched first place in the division they had three games to play that weren't going to impact them at all in the standings and if you said at the time Let's just get through these three games with no injuries and be good to go on December 5th for the final. Uh, I think a lot of people would take it, and that's what essentially has happened. The Bombers will be good to go on December 5th. I mean, there's the one question mark with Andrew Harris, but aside from that, uh, this team is really healthy. And so I'm not putting a whole lot of stock into what happened at the end of the game in Calgary.
0: I think the West semifinal, uh, we're going to place this, I believe we're going to play, and I hope we're going to play Saskatchewan in that West final. But let me just give you a scenario. The Stamps beat the Riders, and they take us on. They come here for that West final, and they edged us 13-12 like that in a game. Does that give them a little extra oomph when they take us on, if they take us on in the West final here at IGF?
3: well I think in their minds most certainly it does I saw Ben Sankey one of their linebackers say after the game that they wanted to send a message and if they feel that they did that by by winning on Saturday good for them but I mean if you look at the lineup at the end of the game when Winnipeg had that fourth quarter meltdown you know Adam Big Hill wasn't on the field Willie Jefferson wasn't on the field Brandon Alexander had exited earlier with an injury they left Jackson Jeff Jeffcoat at home and Dietrich Nichols at home that's five starters from your defense so if you want to pat yourself on the back for rallying against a, a you know, a defense of, uh, of which a lot of people wouldn't recognize the names, then go ahead. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, when Zach Caleros was in the game on Saturday, they moved the ball up and down the field pretty effectively, mm-hmm. and we're in the position to win the game with essentially their third-string quarterback playing three quarters. But look, Calgary can think what they can think. I will tell you right now, when we flew back from calgary saturday night there was nobody on that plane that was panicking at all
0: yeah and i don't think they should be panicking um i think the key or or one of the big keys uh for me as we get ready for the west final is the fact that we don't have injury problems right you go into the final few games you you, you've already got the west final locked and you worry about oh somebody really important getting hurt and that did not happen
3: that's the big story right there how is that you know uh, Zach Claros is going to be good to go. Uh, the one question, Mark, in respect to the the injury situation is Andrew Harris, and he hasn't played in a while, Yeah, and we'll see when the team gets back to work whether he's practicing, you know, and if he is, that's a big boost as well, but countering that, Johnny Augustine ran for over 100 yards on Saturday night, and Brady Oliveira has filled in admirably too, so they do have depth there. Of course, you'd like to have Andrew Harris, but that's the big story, Hal, is that, you know, again, when they clinched first a few weeks ago, everybody just wanted to fast-forward to December 5th with the win-one game at home and you're in the Grey Cup uh, and be healthy, and that's uh, that's where they're at right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Ed, will my wish come true? Will it be the Riders and the Bombers here in the West Final?
3: <laughs> I think that's the wish of the marketing department, too, right? Because you've yep. got a lot of fans rolling over here from from Saskatchewan. In, if you're going to ask me to place a bet, I'd probably go with Calgary, Hal, just because wow. I, I like. Yeah, I do like uh, what they have there, and Bo Levi Mitchell's a tough guy to bet against. That's not to take anything away from Saskatchewan. I just think that, that Calgary's a little bit better uh, at the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively, and I think that can make such a big difference when the weather gets nasty, like, as we expect it to be down the stretch here.
0: Mm-hmm. By the way, we will have the West semifinal for you here on CJOB. And then the West final will be Bob Irving's final game. Ed, you're going to be a part of that broadcast. I mean, for Bomber fans, think about the number of decades, not years, but decades that Bob has done this. This is a significant day, obviously, for Bob and Day and, and the Irving family, um, but really a big day for Bomber fans and the team. Oh, absolutely!
3: You know, Hal, I could go on. You, you and I could both go on for a couple hours here, just gushing about Bob and what he's meant to to us, to the city, to this team. And so, it's going to be kind of a, a memorable day, but for a lot of us, a sad day too, because Bob's been such a fixture calling games for so long. And it's going to be, you know, kind of uh, bittersweet for a lot of us. And and uh, I, you know, i i I wish Bob all the best in his retirement, but it's just not going to be the same without him around next year.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, Ed, thanks a lot for this. I really appreciate it. Appreciate
3: it. I'll have a good day. Thanks for having me on. All
0: right, you too, Ed Tate from BlueBombers.com. Good stuff with Ed at BlueBombers.com. It is Housing Day in Canada today, and uh Mark soberano is the executive director of Raising the Roof, and Mark joins us on the phone now. Mark, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Thank, great. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, Housing has been sort of a, uh, I mean, listen, there's so many issues now that require our attention and our efforts and our money uh, and our donations. Housing is a big one for me. Uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, getting homes for the homeless here in, in Winnipeg. And you've got an interesting project to tell us about here on Housing Day right here in Winnipeg.
4: Yeah, yeah. We we at Raising the Roof uh, several years ago started a program that we call the RESIDE program, which is essentially looking at the idea that there are thousands and thousands of vacant properties right across Canada. Meanwhile, there's hundreds of thousands of people living on the streets. So how could these two things exist at the same time? So we, uh, we've created a project where we are Trying to acquire vacant properties right across the country and to use that as a way to house individuals that are experiencing homelessness on a long-term basis. But what's cool about it is that, you know, a vacant house is usually vacant because it needs a ton of work to be done. And you know, the same way there's a lot of vacant houses, there's also a lot of vacant jobs in the construction industry. And what we're saying is, let's use these renovations as a way to train and employ people that are experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness to actually learn the trades get a get a start get an income coming in to renovate these properties then get connected to these job vacancies in the construction industry by building a house that then fills these sort of housing vacancies at the same time um, mm-hmm. so very excited to have Purchased an old nail salon on Mountain Avenue in the North End and uh, turning it into three units uh, for three families um, that will be have safe, affordable housing on a long-term
0: basis there. I think I know the building right at uh, Mountain and McGregor, right? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big two or maybe even a two and a half story. And so that will, will become homes and, and, which I think is wonderful. And I love the premise, right? We've got all these vacant buildings. Let's figure out a way to put people to work that need the work and to transform these homes that are vacant and need work, as you point out, uh, into, you know, homes where people can live. And so, and we have plenty. We've just a while ago talked about all the vacant buildings, the abandoned vacant buildings that we have. Uh, here in Winnipeg, so has this been a challenge? I mean you've got this one project, but how do we get more going mark? Yeah, I mean the,
4: the biggest this is our first in Manitoba um, and Winnipeg is is the perfect backdrop for this so so we are going to continue to do more and more. Um, what, what's really great about Winnipeg is that there is some great organizations there that already, Train folks to get jobs in the construction. For example, uh, there's a company called Build Inc. and another called Purpose Construction that are nonprofits that have really laid the foundation for organizations right across the country who operate as nonprofit contractors and they carry out these renovations while training and employing people with barriers to employment um, to get jobs in the construction industry. So. There's also agencies there, one called NERC, one called Fearless, that are going to provide the supports to the people in Winnipeg um, that are living in these buildings. So the whole foundation is there, and now it's just about a, about bringing more resources to the project, um, working with government, working with funders and corporate foundations and sponsors, and trying to just scale it up and, and make this happen on a larger scale.
0: If somebody had a vacant building out there that's being ignored, uh, in many cases, these buildings get boarded up, the landlord, the owner just decides uh, there's too much to be done, it doesn't make sense for me anymore, is that a, a property that could be donated and would there be tax benefits for a, for a landlord and owner to do something like that? Does it go that far, Mark?
4: house that's a great question and if you are in that situation and you are listening i would very much encourage you to reach out to us because um, yes the, the answer to all those questions is yes and you know you, you were chatting at the beginning of this conversation about how there's so many causes to invest in and mm-hmm. it can be overload but w- what's cool here is that we're we're looking at repurposing existing resources right and um, and I think there's a huge need there. And if, if people know of vacant properties in Winnipeg, um, we would be very excited to hear about them and to partner with you to make this happen.
0: Cool. Well, I hope somebody out there is listening that has a building like this because I, I think that might very well be the way uh, to do something with a vacant building, that because uh, I, I I really truly believe that even these owners don't want them vacant. I mean, it would seem to me that that's obvious, and this this might be a great solution. I've got to so good luck with your first project, and I hope there are many more here in Winnipeg. As I said, housing is is a key one for me. I've got to ask you, Mark, are you doing the tukes again this year? The cold weather is hit here in Winnipeg.
4: Yes, we are doing the tukes this year, and the toque campaign starts. Today, on National ah. Housing Day. So every single Home Depot right across Canada is selling the Raising the Roof toques
3: in their store. Um,
4: and I would encourage folks to, to head over to a Home Depot store and purchase the toques. For those that don't know what we're talking about, these Raising the Roof toques raise money for homelessness agencies right across Canada, as well as these housing projects that we're talking about here. Um and they're also available on our website at RaisingTheRoof.org. And my, my, my last plug there is that we have a launch event in Winnipeg on Friday, a comedy show called Stand Up. And it's at uh, The Handsome Daughter at 8 p.m. on Friday. You can buy a ticket on the Raising the Roof website as well for that event.
0: You keep doing the good work, Mark, and I'm happy to let you keep plugging your events on, on my show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate it. Keep us updated on that uh, uh, nail salon up on Mountain. I'm I'm happy. I'm excited to hear how that goes for you. Mark Sobrano is the executive director of Raising the Roof. It is Housing Day today.